0: This is part 7 of The seven. in the Sand. I'm on page 102 in my book. On the way downtown, he was so completely alone with his terrible error that he felt the necessity for the strange warmness and goodness that came from a familiar and gentle voice speaking in the night. Already in a few short hours, it seemed that he had known Faber a lifetime. Now he knew that he was two people, that he was, above all, Montag, who knew nothing, who did not even know himself a fool, but only suspected it. And he knew that he was also the old man who talked to him and talked to him as the train was sucked from one end of the night city to the other on one long, sickening gasp of motion. In the days to follow, and in the nights when there was no moon, and in the nights when there was a very bright moon shining on the earth, the old man would go on with this talking and this talking drop by drop, stone by stone, flake by flake. His mind would well over at last and he would not be Montag anymore. This, the old man told him, assured him, promised him, he would be Montag plus Faber. Fire plus water. And then, one day, after everything had mixed and simmered and worked away in silence, there would be neither fire nor water, but wine. Out of two separate and opposite things, a third. And one day he would look back upon the fool and know the fool. Even now he could feel the start of the long journey, the leave taking, the going away from the self he had been. If you didn't understand that paragraph, you might rewind a little and listen again. Um, And then also make sure you mark that. Think about why you might be marking it. All right, 103, um, first full paragraph. It was good listening to the beetle hum, the sleepy mosquito buzz and delicate filigree murmur of the old man's voice at first scolding him and then consoling him in the late hour of night as he emerged from the steaming subway toward the firehouse world. Pity, Montag, pity. Don't haggle and nag them. You were so recently of them yourself. They are so confident that they will run on forever, but they won't run on. They don't know that this is all one huge, big, blazing meteor that makes a pretty fire in space, but that someday it'll have to hit. They see only the blaze, the pretty fire, as you saw it. Montag, old men who stay at home, afraid, tending their peanut brittle bones... "'Have no right to criticize, yet you almost killed things at the start. "'Watch it. I'm with you. Remember that. I understand how it happened. "'I must admit that your blind raging invigorated me. "'God, how young I felt. But now I want you to feel old. "'I want a little of my cowardice to be distilled in you tonight. "'The next few hours when you see Captain Beatty tiptoe around him, "'let me hear him for you. Let me feel the situation out.' "'Survival is our ticket. Forget the poor, silly women.' "'I made them unhappier than they have been in years, I think,' said Montague. "'It shocked me to see Mrs. Phelps cry. Maybe they're right. "'Maybe it's best not to face things, to run, have fun. I don't know. I feel guilty.' "'No, you mustn't. If there were no war, if there was peace in the world, I'd say, "'Fine, have fun. But, Montague, you mustn't go back to being just a fireman.' All isn't well with the world. Montag perspired. Montag, you listening? My feet, said Montag. I can't move them. I feel so damn silly my feet won't move. Listen, easy now, said the old man gently. I know, I know, you're afraid of making mistakes. Don't be. Mistakes can be profited by. Man, When I was younger, I shoved my ignorance in people's faces. They beat me with sticks. By the time I was 40, my blunt instrument had been honed to a fine cutting point for me. So he's being figurative, not literal there. Nobody's literally beating him with a stick. If you hide your ignorance, no one will hit you and you'll never learn. Now pick up your feet into the firehouse with you. We're twins. We're not alone anymore. We're not separated out in different parlors with no contact between them. If you need help when Beatty pries at you, I'll be sitting right here in your eardrum making notes. Montag felt his right foot, then his left foot move. Old man, he said, stay with me. The mechanical hound was gone. Its kennel was empty and the firehouse stood all about in plaster silence and the orange salamander slept with its kerosene in its belly and the fire throwers crossed upon its flanks and Montag came in through the silence and touched the brass pole and slid up in the dark air. Looking back at the deserted kennel, his heart beating, pausing, beating. Faber was a gray moth asleep in his ear for the moment. Beatty stood near the drop hole waiting, but with his back turned as if he were not waiting. Well, he said to the men playing cards, Here comes a very strange beast, which in all tongues is called a fool. That's actually a quote from, I think, Measure for Measure from Shakespeare. He put his hand to one side, palm up for a gift. Montag put the book in it. Without even glancing at the title, Beatty tossed the book in the trash basket and lit a cigarette. Who are a little wise, the best fools be? Welcome back, Montag. I hope you'll be staying with us. Now that your fever is done and your sickness over, sit in for a hand of poker. They sat and the cards were dealt. In Beatty's sight, Montague felt the guilt of his hands. His fingers were like ferrets that had done some evil and now never rested, always stirred and picked and hid in pockets, moving from under Beatty's alcohol-flamed stare. If Beatty so much as breathed on them, Montague felt that his hands might wither, turn over on their sides, and never be shocked to life again. They would be buried the rest of his life in his coat-sleeves, forgotten, for these were the hands that had acted on their own, no part of him— Here was where the conscience first manifested itself to snatch books. Start off with Job and Ruth and Willie Shakespeare, and now, in the firehouse, these hands seemed gloved with blood. Twice in half an hour, Montag had to rise from the game and go to the latrine to wash his hands. When he came back, he hid his hands under the table. Beatty laughed. Let's have your hands in sight, Montag. Not that we don't trust you, understand, but they all laughed. Well, said Beatty, the crisis is past and all is well. The sheep returns to the fold. We're all sheep who have strayed at times. That's from the Bible. Truth is truth to the end of reckoning, we've cried. They are never alone that are accompanied with noble thoughts. We've shouted to ourselves, Sweet food of sweetly uttered knowledge. Sir Philip Sidney said that. But on the other hand, words are like leaves, and where they most abound, much fruit of sense beneath is rarely found. Alexander Pope. What do you think of that, Montag? So in that one, Beatty actually told you where those references came from before uh, I was telling you. So um, that's worth thinking about. Like, what we're learning about Beatty, it's confirming some stuff we already knew. I don't know. Careful, whispered Faber, living in another world far away. Or this. A little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the Perian spring their shallow droughts intoxicate the brain and drinking largely sobers us again pope same essay where does that put you montag bit his lip i'll tell you said Beatty, smiling at his cards that made you for a little while a drunkard read a few lines and off you go over the cliff bang you're ready to blow up the world chop off heads knock down women and children destroy authority i know i've been through it all So then you can think, is that actually true? Did that happen? Is what Beatty's saying accurate to Montag's story so far? I'm all right, said Montag nervously. Stop blushing. I'm not needling. Really, I'm not. Do you know I had a dream an hour ago? I laid down for a catnap, and in this dream, you and I, Montag, got into a furious debate on books. You towered with rage, yelled quotes at me. I calmly parried every thrust. Power, I said, and you, quoting Dr. Johnson, said, knowledge is more than equivalent to force. And I said, well, Dr. Johnson also said, dear boy, that he is no wise man that will quit a certainty for an uncertainty. Stick with the fireman, Montag. All else is dreary chaos. Don't listen, whispered Faber. He's trying to confuse. He's slippery. Watch out. Beatty chuckled. And you said, quoting, truth will come to light, murder will not be hid long. And I cried in good humor, oh God, he speaks only of his horse, and the devil can cite scripture for his purpose, and you yelled, this age thinks better of a gilded fool than of a threadbare saint in wisdom's school. And I whispered gently, the dignity of truth is lost with much protesting, and you screamed, carcasses bleed at the sight of the murderer. And I said, patting your hand, what do I give you trench mouth? And you shrieked, knowledge is power. And a dwarf on a giant shoulder sees the farthest of the two. And I summed my side up with rare serenity in the folly of mistaking a metaphor for a proof, a torrent of verbiage for a spring of capital truths, and oneself as an oracle is inborn us, inborn in us. Mr. Valerie once said. Montague's head whirled sickeningly. He felt beaten unmercifully on brow, eyes, nose, lips, chin, on shoulders, on up-flailing arms. He wanted to yell, "'No, shut up! You're confusing things! Stop it!' Beatty's graceful fingers thrust out to seize his wrist." "'God, what a pulse. I've got you going, have I, Montag? Jesus, God, your pulse sounds like the day after the war. Everything but sirens and bells. Shall I talk some more? I like your look of panic. Swahili, Indian, English lit, I speak them all. A kind of excellent dumb discourse. Willie! Montag, hold on.' The moth brushed Montag's ear. "'He's muddying the waters.' "'Oh, you were scared silly,' said Beatty. "'for I was doing a terrible thing "'and using the very books you clung to "'to rebut you on every hand, on every point. "'What traitors books can be? "'You think they're backing you up and they turn on you. "'Others can use them too, "'and there you are lost in the middle of the moor "'in a great welter of nouns and verbs and adjectives, "'and at the very end of my dream "'along I came with the salamander and said— Going my way, and you got in, and we drove back to the firehouse in beatific silence, all dwindled away to peace. Beatty let Montag's wrist go, let the hand slump limply on the table. All's well that is well in the end. You might think a little bit about Beatty's motives here. Like, what is it that he's doing? What's his goal? Because he really wants Montag to be a fireman again, right? So what's his strategy Especially those of you who read Walden too. What's his strategy for convincing um, Montag to give up on the books? Okay, page 108. We're almost done. Silence. Montag sat like a carved white stone. The echo of the final hammer on his skull died slowly away into the black cavern where Faber waited for the echoes to subside. And when the startled dust had settled down about Montag's mind, Faber began softly. All right, he's had his say. You must take it in. I'll say my say, too, in the next few hours, and you'll take it in, and you'll try to judge them and make your decisions as to which way to jump or fall, but I want it to be your decision, not mine, and not the captain's, but remember that the captain belongs to the most dangerous enemy to truth and freedom, the solid, unmoving cattle of the majority. Oh God, the terrible tyranny of the majority." We all have our harps to play, and it's up to you now to know with which ear you'll listen. Montag opened his mouth to answer Faber and was saved this error in the presence of others when the station bell rang. The alarm voice in the ceiling chanted. There was a tacking, tacking sound as the alarm report telephone typed out the address across the room. Captain Beatty, his poker cards in one pink hand, walked with exaggerated slowness to the phone and ripped out the address when the report was finished. He glanced perfunctorily at it and shoved it in his pocket. There was a tacking, tacking sound as the alarm report telephone typed out the address across the room. Captain Beatty, his poker cards in one pink hand, walked with exaggerated slowness to the phone and ripped out the address when the report was finished. He glanced perfunctorily at it and shoved it in his pocket. He came back and sat down. The others looked at him. It can wait exactly 40 seconds while I take all the money away from you, said Beatty happily. Montag put his cards down. Tired, Montag, going out of this game? That's a double entendre. Yes. Hold on. Well, come to think of it, we can finish this hand later. Just leave your cards face down and hustle the equipment. On the double now. And Beatty rose up again. Montag, you don't look well. i hate to think you were coming down with another fever. I'll be all right. You'll be fine. This is a special case. Come on, jump for it. They leapt into the air and clutched the brass pole as if it were the last vantage point above a tidal wave passing below, and then the brass pole, to their dismay, slid them down into darkness, into the blast and cough and suction of the gaseous dragon roaring to life. Hey! Hey! They rounded a corner in thunder and siren with concussion of tires with scream of rubber with a shift of kerosene bulk in the glittery brass tank like the food in the stomach of a giant with Montag's fingers jolting off the silver rail swinging into cold space with the wind tearing his hair back from his head with the wind whistling in his teeth and him all the while thinking of the women, the chafe women in his parlor tonight with the kernels blown out from under them by a neon wind and his silly damned reading of a book to them. How like trying to put out fires with water pistols. How senseless and insane. One rage turned in for another, one anger displacing another. When would he stop being entirely mad and be quiet? Be very quiet indeed. Here we go. Montag looked up. Beatty never drove, but he was driving tonight, slamming the salamander around corners, leaning forward high on the driver's throne, his massive black slicker flapping out behind so that he seemed a great black bat flying above the engine, over the brass numbers, taking the full wind. Here we go to keep the world happy, Montag. Beatty's pink phosphorescent cheeks glimmered in the high darkness, and he was smiling furiously. Here we are. The sandlander boomed to a halt, throwing men off in slips and clumsy hops. Montag stood fixing his raw eyes to the cold, bright rail under his clenched fingers. "'I can't do it,' he thought. "'How can I go at this new assignment? How can I go on burning things? I can't go in this place.'" Beatty, smelling of the wind through which he had rushed, was at Montag's elbow. "'All right, Montag.'" The men ran like cripples in their clumsy boots as quietly as spiders. At last, Montag raised his eyes and turned. Beatty was watching his face. Something the matter, Montag? Why, said Montag slowly, we've stopped in front of my house.